Have you ever wondered what happens behind the scenes in heaven? Do you wish that there was some sort of a last dance kind of documentary that would pull the curtain back so that you could see uh, how it all happened and how we got to where we are today? Well, Psalm 82 is like that documentary. I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 82 if you haven't uh, already. Uh, you've sung it and you've heard it read, but it's, uh, I, I want you to be able to see it in uh, your lap uh, as we go forward. But Psalm 82 is literally the room where it happens. And I want to encourage you not to throw away your shot to see what God cares about and how He wants that work done throughout the world. I want you to see that God cares about justice. And I want to increase your confidence that God Himself will, in fact, establish that justice. So if you want to look at Psalm 82, I want you to notice as you do, that God is going to, that God cares about justice and God will establish justice. Here is, here is the introduction. It's really unlike any other verse in the whole Bible. Well, sort of. It says, God has taken His place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, He holds justice. I want you just to look at that and let it sink in a little bit. God has taken His place in the divine council or the council of the gods. In the midst of the gods, He holds judgment. Now even as we get started here, I want you to recognize that this is an unusual place. This is the room where it happens. And the, the Bible has a multi-tiered look at the, the world. We are used to a flat world. A world where we're told nothing supernatural exists. Everything that matters is what you can see and observe and measure by science. And yet here we have God in the council of the gods or the divine council holding forth. There are a few things that you need to know even before we begin. One of them is that the word that we use for God has a pretty wide range of meanings. I mean, sometimes it's used for kings, sometimes for mighty men, sometimes for spirits, sometimes for uh, gods, little g, or demons, sometimes behind idols, and sometimes for God Himself. So the word God, it can mean our God, Yahweh, Creator God, and it can mean spirit beings, or God, little g. And I, I probably will have to say God, little g, to make sure you know which one I'm talking about. Maybe I'll call them God's junior, if you don't mind. But the, the thing you need to know about that is that these juniors are created. 
which places them in a completely different class than God Himself. That God, the God of the Bible, Yahweh, the, the, the God that created the heavens and the earth, is in a class by Himself. They are nothing compared to Him. Yet they are created spiritual beings. The Bible speaks of the gods of the nations. You, you'll read that sometimes. Or household gods. And it uses this same word multiple ways. So as, even as I say that, I want you to make sure that you realize that I'm not trying to explain something that is not monotheistic. Okay? Christianity, like uh, Judaism, is monotheistic, meaning we believe there's one God. And we do believe there's one God, Creator of heaven and earth. And He created God's little g, or God's junior. So they are not in the category that we normally talk about. We are still monotheists, even though there are multiple gods. And you can use words like spirit, or demons, or angels, or gods to describe them. And the reality is, they have only... Uh, they're, they're real. They have uh, power. And they have only as much leash as God grants them. They are accountable to Him. <laughs> and apparently they have meetings. They have, uh, I don't know, committee meetings, you could say. These committee meetings of the gods are what we have here. God stands in the council of the gods. This is not unknown in the rest of the Bible either. About this time last year, we were looking at the book of Job. And in Job chapter 1, verse 6, it says, Now there was the day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. And God and Satan have this little conversation, and Satan goes out then to afflict and test Job. Then it happens again in Job chapter 2. There is this apparent council that Satan is part of, and then he leaves and does his business. The same thing happens again in 2 Kings 22, which I happened to read this morning in my personal um, Bible reading. Or 2 Chronicles 18, there is another one of these gatherings or committee meetings that's described. Uh, and what God is doing here is God is uh, going to execute judgment on Ahab. Ahab was a wicked king, and his time had come, and so God was having a committee meeting about what are we going to do with Ahab. <clears throat> and this is how it goes. Micaiah, who is a prophet, said, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on His throne and all the hosts of heaven standing on His right hand and on His left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab, the king of Israel, that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said one thing and one had another. See, it does sound like a committee meeting, doesn't it? They're just trying to talk over one another. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, by what means? And he said, 
I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all the prophets. And he said, you are to entice him and you shall succeed. Go out and do it. And so they had their committee meeting. They had their minutes. They had their to-do items after the meeting. And they went out and enticed Ahab. And sure enough, that's not the only unusual part of this story because Ahab does go to battle and he takes this to heart and he says, you know what? I don't want them, you know, I don't want them to come after me. So the king of Judah wore his royal robes and Ahab said, I'm going to disguise myself like a regular soldier. And they marched out and they were going to come against the king and they realized, oh, he's the king of Judah. He's not the king of Israel. He's not Ahab. That's who we're after. So they backed away, it says. And then, it, and then it adds, one guy got an itchy finger and he pulled his arrow back in his bow and he let it fly. And that one arrow that flew on that day went across the way and, and hit one soldier, happened to be Ahab, between his plates of armor, pierced him and he bled to death in his chariot and died. What an accident except that we had this whole council explaining to us exactly how it was going to happen, you see. And so we have that kind of a thing in Psalm 82 also. We have this council that has been at work in the affairs of God that is talking about the way the world is going. Now, I want you to realize a couple things that this is uh, this is describing I think the room where it happens where the spiritual powers are uh, affecting the way that things are happening throughout the world and that I that I believe is the way that the Bible particularly the Old Testament describes how things work that there is Yahweh, God, there are spiritual beings that are behind prompting, deceiving, um, coercing leaders throughout the world to do in the world what God wants done, what needs to be done. And so there is this sort of nexus or intersection between the spiritual powers and the earthly powers. Because if you think about it, these, these gods, little g, they got nothing. I'm just going to tell you. They got nothing. They're just spirits. And how are they going to do anything? They're probably not going to do anything. Unless they can get people doing their thing. Unless they can somehow, uh, you know, like a puppeteer perhaps, get people doing their business. And if you think about that, that's really how it worked with uh, Satan and Job in Job chapters 1 and 2. Because they had this council, this committee meeting. Satan went out to test Job. But what did he do? He didn't do anything. The Sabaeans took the camels and the Chaldeans took the sheep, or vice versa, I can never remember. And the wind blew the house down. And Satan came away, uh, apparently, free. We know better, but that's how it played out. 
And I think that's how it's going to play out here. Is that God is holding counsel with these God's little g. And they have been out in the world and will return out in the world. And they are working injustice. They are manipulating or directing or coercing or whatever word you want to use. They are doing that with the powers that be to wreak havoc on the world. And then there's one other thing about verse 1 I want you to notice. And that is that God is standing. God is standing in the council. That is simply, I think, to indicate that what God is about to say is really important. God is not making a mere suggestion. God is about to hold forth on something that is really close to His heart. And to add emphasis, He tells us that God is standing to deliver this verdict like the foreman of a jury might stand to tell what the jury has decided. And so what is this important message? This is it. it. It comes in the form of a question. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah. God is standing to accuse these other gods, little g, of judging unjustly and working injustice throughout the world and being partial in their judgment in favor of the wicked. What you have here in these first two verses is really the issue. And think about you can think about it like a documentary. Here we are in the room where it happens and God is talking to these gods and the, the assumption being that they are going to work this injustice and partiality out throughout the world and God is saying that's enough. You cannot continue being unjust. And God tells them that as a warning, I think, then to whatever people may execute that injustice and certainly then to us who are watching the documentary. We're reading this psalm as though we were just on the other side of the screen watching the drama that's unfolding in this council. And the point of it is this. That God cares about the broken and the downcast. The destitute and the hurting The weak and the fatherless are close to the heart of God. And if you don't get anything else out of this morning, I want you to get that God cares for the poor and the weak. That is His singular message. And it seems to me that if the people of God are watching this documentary and they hear the heart of God come across to say God cares about justice and impartiality. God wants you to rescue the needy. That it seems to me that the people of God who hear that need to let that register with them. 
that God is a God of justice and compassion. And we must care about what He has to say when He reveals His heart. And again, don't get lost in the context as though this were some woo-woo mystical spirit powwow. This is God Himself telling us what He cares about. And we are hearing the heart of God as He stands to deliver it in the council. It's interesting, isn't it? That this started with <laughs> this started with the council of the gods, something that is absolutely foreign to us, that will blow your mind if you kind of think about it. But that it lands when you see the words of God. It lands with Him talking to us about His concern for justice. And while nothing could be more foreign than the council, nothing could be more, uh, more relevant to 2021 than justice. We have heard little else in the past year in the news besides the very thing that God cares about here. Don't let that get lost on you. Don't think that somehow that... that what God cares about is different than the concerns of the world. Now, it's manifest in all kinds of uh, different political ways. But what God cares about here is the right thing being done for those who are disadvantaged, weak, and fatherless. Let's take a look at who these people are here in verse It says, give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. And so as you look at who these people are, I want you to notice what the text says about them. Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. And those are the adjectives. Weak, needy, fatherless, afflicted, destitute. And it's as though God doesn't care how they got there. We are not talking about necessarily the source of their misfortune. Because some of it may be fatherlessness. Some of it may be generational poverty. Some of it may be any number of things. But God simply wants to say what's on His heart to say, give them justice. Maintain their rights. And and the the phrase maintain maintain the right is simply do what is righteous. Do what is right by them. What's right by them 
may be a handout, but it may not be a handout. It may be very complicated. And it may not be something you can simply delegate to a legislator or to somebody else. Because these people are somehow disadvantaged. In multiple ways disadvantaged. And God is communicating in Psalm 82 that they are close to His heart. And by inference then, they should be close to the heart of the people of God. The other thing I think you need to notice there is the words. And I've already mentioned a couple. Justice and maintain the right. And then rescue and deliver. Some of these things are for uh, governments or institutions. But some of these things are for you and for me, for people who will simply reach down and pull somebody else up. Who will initiate a relationship with somebody else who doesn't have the status or the privileges that you have. I think it's very easy for us to get lost when, as soon as, in fact, I'm just certain that there's at least one person here that misunderstands what I mean about justice. Because we've heard so much about it and we've heard so much about it from news outlets and from uh, opinion pieces and from Facebook bombs that we simply can't say, you know what, here's some people who are needy and weak. Here's some people who are fathers and need your help. And you, you are not partisan. You are the people of God. Get out of your partisan trenches. You are the people of God. Care about what God cares about, not what your party cares about. So that you can give justice and care about the fatherless and the afflicted and the destitute and the weak and the needy. And sometimes it's caring about how policies are carried out. Sometimes it is simply initiating a relationship that is not partial. And by partiality here, what the, what the Bible generally means when it talks about partiality, which is God's accusation against those gods, is that you look on the outside of someone and you make your decision about whether they can do you any favors or not. And you help those people that can do you favors and you don't help the people who can't do you favors. And that's partiality. And that's what God is condemning here. And so, I want to invite you as the people of God to do better than we've done. To recognize that it is our responsibility as exiles and strangers in this world, not as political uh, party members to take care of other people who are broken and hurting and oppressed and distressed and downcast. And I don't think it matters how they got there. But God calls His people here to follow His heart to care for those who are in need. And I, I do want to say before I leave this how proud I am of our church. 
because there are so many people, and I, I, can, I can name names, but I don't want to embarrass anybody, who have initiated relationships with people who really can't help them back, who have initiated to do exactly what's here in this text, to take care of people who are fatherless, who have initiated to do exactly what's here and take care of the destitute. And they've taken initiative to do that, and there's no hope of being paid back. In fact, there's no guarantee that the person they're reaching to will sometime rise up and get better. But simply because they belong to Jesus, they are, they are reaching out. And they are loving people who may not ever love them back. And they're doing it over and over and over. And that to me is the heart of God that He is expressing in verses 1 and 2. Condemning the gods because they don't have that heart. Because they're animating uh, political and, and national powers that don't have that heart. But we're seeing it in the documentary so that we do reflect the heart of God. So that we can see what God really cares about. Then as you look, as you look at those people, it describes the effect that this injustice has on them. They walk about, they have no understanding or knowledge there you know, in verse five. They walk about in darkness. I don't know if you've ever been on the receiving end of injustice. If you've been hit by something you don't like and you're just like, where did that come from? Because it's a, I don't know, it's a lawsuit or it's a some accusation or some slanderous remark and you don't know where it came and it just sends you reeling. That's what he's describing. People don't know where it came from. They walk about in darkness. They don't know if they're going to bump into the next problem or not. And he describes that, in, I think, in hopes that we'll have compassion on them. And then he says, he says, the very foundations of the earth are shaken. They're when you are the victim of injustice, when you, are, when you are being treated wrongfully, nothing seems stable, nothing seems safe. Anything can give way at any moment. It feels that way. And He, he wants us to know that that's the case and that He cares very deeply about it. And then we have in verses 6 and 7. We have the, the statement where God says, You are gods, the sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. And God is now accusing them and condemning. This is the condemnation of the council. This is where God, he, he stood up and asked the question, how long are you going to keep being unjust and show partiality to the wicked? Now he says, all right, I've had enough. And he says, you are all gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. And he reminds them 
of their status and their privilege. He reminds them that they were created, uh, in a sense, immortal. And then, He renders His judgment. Verse 7, Like men you shall die. That, That tells me that this council is not just merely made up of men. It's made up of these spirit beings and the, the curse on them, the condemnation for them, is that they're going to die because they have uh, treated the world without justice. Like men, you shall... This is the harshest punishment He could mete out. And you will fall like any prince. They are cursed like humans. A very death that, that threatens the human race is a very death now that threatens the council. And this is an introduction to what we have in the book of Revelation where there is a lake of fire and Satan and all his hordes are cast into the lake of fire. I think that's what this is talking about. This future home of all injustice. You will die like men and fall like any prince. You are all gods and sons of the Most High. It's interesting that it's this phrase that Jesus pulls out. Jesus knows Psalm 82. He quoted Psalm 82. He didn't quote it in Sunday school like he was having some Psalm 82 memorization contest. He recited Psalm 82 when the Pharisees accused him of blasphemy. What Jesus had done was he had claimed that God was his Father and he was the Son of God. And they had run out screaming, you, um, you know, you're, you're a blasphemer. You can't say that. That's, that's terrible. You're, you, we should kill you. That's the way that they were rolling at that point. And Jesus uses this text to pry them off his back. And I think what he's doing when he he quotes in John chapter 10, he quotes uh, this phrase where God Himself says, you are all gods. You are sons of the Most High. And God Himself is saying that. And Jesus quotes that to say, listen, you guys, get off my back. You are so smug and sure of yourself. Don't you know the Scriptures? The Scripture tells us that God Himself attributes uh, to other beings the title Son of God. And God doesn't seem to be all up in arms. God doesn't seem to be uh, too uptight when He says that. Why are you after me? Give me some slack. And that's what Jesus is doing with this Scripture so that they can back off. Because here we have God attributing the Son of God to other beings. Now, Jesus cited that text to give Himself more room, but then He went on in John chapter 10, this is, this is interesting I think, to say without mistake, I and the Father are one. So just in case they were after Him before, He wanted to make sure that they really hated Him. And he said, I and the Father are one. And so Jesus is saying then 
that He is not in the council. He is saying that He, in fact, is the one presiding over the council. Jesus is claiming the authority that says, I am the one who stands and announces my concern for the weak and the destitute and the fatherless. In fact, Jesus in saying, I and the Father are one, is claiming that He Himself will be that perfect judge. That one day, He will stand and judge the living and the dead. And He is pointing then to verse 8. And verse 8 is really the culmination of the whole thing. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit the nations. What are the people of God supposed to do in the face of injustice? Or maybe what I should say is, what's the first thing the people of God should do in the face of injustice. I think, and, and, I, and I say this for my own conviction and encouragement too, that when we see this kind of injustice and partiality, it is a call for us to pray. It is a call for us to cry out to God, arise and judge the earth. I'm tired of the bad job that everyone else is doing. I appeal to you as supreme King above all kings. Arise and judge the earth. For you will inherit the nations. When you hear the call of God's heart like we did in verse 2, it is an invitation for us to pray. We must cry out to Him. For you, it says, will inherit the earth. Frankly, frankly, I think that's a weak translation. You will inherit the earth like, well, if you wait long enough, somebody's going to die and you're going to get what's coming to you. The sense of the word there is not that. The sense of the word is simply that God is the rightful owner of the earth. He is its rightful uh, judge. Get with the program. That's basically the prayer. You are the righteous judge. Is this a call for Him to exercise that right? To stop letting it be done so poorly. And when God finally exercises His right as God over the nations, justice will be complete. This is, by the way, the Christian prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. That's what we're praying for. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And just like the Lord's prayer is a, yes, Your kingdom come. It's a future-oriented prayer. But it's also, isn't it, a, a, a present tense prayer. Your will be done right now. So is this. We hear God in the assembly 
of the gods say, I care about justice. And I care about partiality. Pull somebody up. And establish a relationship with somebody who can't help you back for the name of Jesus. And do it now. Don't just wait and say, I believe that there's pie in the sky by and by and I'm going to be fine. That's not what He's calling us to. He's calling us to, to right now reflect His heart. And to hang on as we do to that glorious Christian hope that ultimate justice and ultimate peace and ultimate uh, rightness will come when God holds forth as judge. We work for it now and we confidently wait for it in the future. I mentioned that God is concerned for justice. And we've overheard Him talking to the Divine Council about it and seen the penalty that that injustice uh, deserves, that it could not be more severe. But I want to communicate with you very clearly that the absolute best example of God's concern for justice that Psalm 82 talks about is how God dealt with sin on the cross of His Son. That God cares so much. In case somehow you've missed it in Psalm 82, I want you to see it in the cross that God cares so much for the needy, for the destitute, for the fatherless, for the poor and the weak. For just treatment for them. For them to have righteous and right dealings. That He placed all of the sin, all of the brokenness, all of that weight onto His Son. That Jesus bore on the cross all of the offense, of the injustices of the world. God is so opposed to partiality that it was His own Son that He used to deal with the sin of the world. He is so committed to justice that He will stop at nothing, not even His own precious Son. so that things might be made right. Lest you think that overly severe, let me make sure that you realize that it actually was the heart of love, the love of God, His heart of love for you, that is behind the execution of this justice on His Son. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, should not stand under their just condemnation, but have eternal life. Romans chapter 3 tells us 
that God did this so that He might be just and the one who justifies those who believe. That ultimately, Jesus is the linchpin for justice in the world. Jesus is the one that has secured it on the cross and He is the one that having risen again will one day stand as judge and make all things right. We find here in Psalm 82 really the pivot point of the entire Gospel. The good news that God is making the world right. And He did that through the cross of His Son. So that is the Christian message. That is the heart of what we believe. And that's really what God wants us to remember about Him, isn't it? God wants us to remember that He's just not an old man upstairs winking at people's misdeeds. That He is executing judgment on the gods, on the, on the rulers, and on anybody who harbors partiality and injustice. But that also, in love, He has given His Son that we might be freed from that judgment if we would just believe. And so I simply want to ask you, won't you? Won't you appeal to Jesus as Savior so you do not have to appeal to Him as judge? 